We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight this morning, you who are our rock and our redeemer. We thank you for our day today. We thank you for our Sunday morning or whenever, you know, folks may be watching this online. We thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. And we ask you to bless us the next 15, 20 minutes or so as we dig into this portion of your word. Please send your Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our faith. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1995, a singer named Joan Osborne released, I believe it was her debut single, and it was an immediate hit. The song skyrocketed in popularity, reaching number four on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, it earned three Grammy nominations. And in addition to that, this song became a top 20 hit in 12 different countries. It became the theme song for a popular TV show. And I don't want to call her a one-hit wonder, but the, on Spotify, the views kind of speak for themselves. This song vastly, vastly outperforms anything else that Joan Osborne ever recorded. And this was really her first single. It was called One of Us. So smash hit in 1995. What made this song so popular? Well, it starts out with a particularly satisfying grungy guitar riff that was like right about perfect for 1995. Um, and then it shifts into this incredibly catchy refrain. The refrain of this song is so catchy that I listened to it one time on Tuesday, and this song has been stuck in my head the entire week. But what's really, I think, most compelling about this song, One of Us, is not the music, it's the words. Because uh, the song starts out asking questions like this. If God had a name, what would it be? If God had a face, what would it look like? What would you ask God if you had just one question? And then comes the classic refrain. Are we going to sing it or are we going to say it? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? In 1995, this song was everywhere. Um, so this song actually wasn't written by Joan Osborne. It was written by a man named Eric Bazilian. And interestingly, neither he nor Joan would consider themselves Christian or even particularly religious at all. So this song, One of Us, is not a statement of faith. It's not a confession in support of one particular denomination or another. It's just a song. But there's something about this song that just grabbed people as soon as they heard it, and it continues to grab hold of people today. Because what if God was one of us? Imagine it. What if instead of being invisible and distant and aloof off there somewhere in heaven, what if God could spend a day right here on earth? And what if God could, you know, sit on Marta right next to us? What if God would pass us on the sidewalk? What if from our perspective, God could look around and see what this world actually looks like from down here? If God could do that, would it change the way he feels about us? Would it change the way we feel about him? I mean, it's a fascinating question to ponder. What if God were one of us? But the great irony of this song, we know, especially right after Christmas time. Uh, what happened at Christmas time? Well, 
at Christmas time, God did become one of us. And it wasn't just for a few hours or a couple of days. It was a full 33-year life that God spent being one of us, living down here, living in our world, seeing what things are like. And as we look at God's life in this world, the life of Jesus Christ, we start to see that it does change the way we feel about God. Because of Jesus, God is not some distant foreign entity who can't relate to our lives. Because of Jesus, more so than ever, we know God is right here with us. So this is the title and the theme you know, of our sermon series that starts today and goes for the next eight weeks. We're going to be studying Jesus' life and learning what happened when God actually was one of us. For today, what we want to do for just a few minutes is explore mankind's longing for God. So about 1,600 years ago, a church leader named Augustine had this to say. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What did Augustine mean by that statement? Well, he didn't mean that everybody in the world is going to be Christian or even necessarily religious at all. But what he meant is that running through the center of our world and running through the center of every human life is a God-shaped hole that only God can truly fill. And to flesh that out for you, to give you some examples of what that looks like, let's, let's check out the news cycle as we move into a new year. So every January, the pundits like to do this. I'm sure you've seen this where it's like top stories of the previous year. I think on New Year's Eve, people are always playing top stories of, of the previous year. So I looked up some top stories of 2021. I found a couple of top 10 lists. And out of you know, the top 10 biggest stories, these are items that were on all of those lists just from the last year. We had people storming the Capitol after the election. We had the trial and conviction of George Floyd's murder. We had the collapse of a condo in Florida that killed 98 people. We had the Taliban seizing control of Afghanistan. And of course, we had the second full year of the coronavirus pandemic. So there were some good news stories in 2021 as well, but like on the top 10 lists, that was just half of them. I think all of us would agree as we look at the state of our world and as we look at the state of our lives, I think we'd agree that none of us is entirely satisfied. There are things that our world is missing. There are things that all of us desperately want. And to sum it up, I'm going to give you my top four list. I think these are four things, we could all agree on this, four things every person in the world wants. The first one, we want someone who knows what's going on. So talk about the pandemic for just one minute. The pandemic has featured what? Constantly changing advice from health experts, uh, inconsistent public safety measures, political posturing from both sides of the aisle, a wealth of misinformation being spread across the internet, and you may have your own opinions about what's been particularly helpful or unhelpful, particularly good or bad, but as we look from one authority figure to the next, we have to admit nobody has really known all along exactly what is going on. Nobody's been able to give 
really the best advice that they should have been giving, and nobody's been able to say what's going to happen next. We all wish we had just someone we could look to and trust that this person for sure knows what's going on. Second one, kind of related, we all want to know that somebody is in control. And so this could be like the coronavirus pandemic, this could be the condo collapse, or this could be some random act of violence that happens out of nowhere. But when things like this happen, what's terrifying about them is not so much the tragic events themselves, but it's the fact that they feel random and unpredictable and out of control. And we desperately want to find someone we can trust to steer us through whatever might come. And so maybe we want to trust in our government officials. Maybe we want to trust in our armed forces. Maybe we want to trust in the goodness of our fellow human beings that things are going to be okay. But whoever we trust here on earth ultimately ends up letting us down because no one is perfectly in control of what happens in this world. If there's one sentiment that people have said to me more than anything else since the pandemic began, it's that it is a reminder that we don't have as much control as we'd like to think. It makes us incredibly frustrated. We don't have to be in control. At least if someone could be in control, it would make us feel better. But it feels so random. It feels so unpredictable. Shifting topics a little bit, here's a third thing I think everybody in the world wants. We want there to be justice. I mean, from the time we are little kids, we want the teams to be fair. Right? But we know deep down the rich should not take advantage of the poor. The successful should not take advantage of the underprivileged. The people in power should not be able to abuse their authority. But it keeps happening. And we know deep down that no matter how much we work and lobby and protest to try to make things better, this side of eternity, some injustices will still keep happening. This side of eternity, some wrongs are not going to be righted. And that also makes us incredibly frustrated. Last one, one more thing I think everybody wants is that we all want our life to matter. Human life as it currently stands is far too short and too broken and too incomplete. We want, we need to be part of something that is bigger. We need to be part of something that transcends the here and now. And so we seek this by becoming part of a fan base, uh, becoming part of a political movement, becoming part of a tech revolution that is going to change the course of history. But we want to live a life that's going to make a difference after our short life is done. And so we seek immortality, whether it's by involvement in some cause, or whether it's by stockpiling up achievements, or wealth that can be invested and passed on or even if it's just that we're trying to build a good reputation that will last beyond the grave. We want to make a difference bigger than the here and now. And yet, no matter how hard we work at it, we continue to feel deep down our life is not as significant as we want it to be. So, summing up, I think you know, people are different. There's, there's really seven billion different types of people in the world. But there are things that everybody has in common as we look around our world. We all want someone to know what's going on. We all want to know that someone's in control. We all want there to be justice and fairness. We all want our lives to matter. If only there were someone who could come into our world and give us all those things all at once. I mean, don't you think this is why superheroes 
are so popular. Think about it. A hero, a mighty hero, comes from a different world and he lives among us. He stands among us. He gets where we're coming from. And then he stands up to defend our planet against the forces of evil and injustice. How much better does it get? But what so many people fail to realize is that we have this exact type of mighty hero, and his name is Jesus. I mean, John chapter 1, we read it before, but like verse by verse, as you go through, it unfolds all those specific longings that we have and all those things that every person so desperately needs, all of them are met in Jesus. For example, we want someone to be in control. Jesus has absolute power and control because he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. All the power in the whole universe. We also want you know, a hero who knows what's going on. And Jesus has absolute knowledge and understanding. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. What else would we want from the ideal hero? We want somebody who understands life from our perspective. And what did Jesus do? He became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we all want justice. And Jesus absolutely understands injustice because he experienced the ultimate injustice himself. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus, the God-man, the Word made flesh, is the hero that deep down every human being is desperately craving. And yet the most important thing about Jesus is not his power, or his knowledge, or his understanding, or his justice. The most important thing about Jesus is his grace. It's the fact that he would do it. We talked about the ludicrous idea of becoming an ant to be like the ants, dying for an ant to save the ants, but the fact that Jesus would actually do this, that God himself, who created the universe, would come down to the earth, take on a human body, live a human life among us, die a human death on the cross, and suffer there the ultimate injustice of getting rejected and punished by God for all of our sins and our failures. Just so that we could be forgiven and made right with God and get to live with God in heaven forever. It's incredible. Now we've got like heroes on the brain now. Right? I think all the best hero stories involve self-sacrifice. Right? The hero jumps in front of a train. The hero jumps in front of a, a speeding bullet to save somebody else. The hero grabs the bomb and flies off into the sky high enough that it won't harm anybody else when it detonates except for him. But all the best hero stories involve self-sacrifice. Maybe the hero dies so that others can live. But how long does it last? For a while. And bad things continue to happen. And that people who were saved and rescued will live in a world that is broken and unsatisfying, and then one day they'll still have to die. But Jesus is different. Jesus is better. Through his self-sacrifice, we get to live forever in heaven, in a place where we will know exactly what's going on, because we know exactly who's in control, a place that the Bible describes as 
a place of righteousness and justice where every wrong has been righted and every inequality removed. A place, finally, where hearts are no longer restless because they all have their rest in God. And Jesus came down here so he could bring us up there. But before he does, Jesus gives us one more major blessing. He meets one more major need, and it's the one that if you were thinking through that list that we haven't talked about yet, Jesus makes our lives right here and right now to matter. John writes, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. And fellow believers, this is talking about you. Through faith in Jesus, you have been born again into an entirely different way of living. As God's child, you can now look at your life and you can look at the events of last year and you can look at whatever the events may be this year and you can know that there is someone who knows what's going on and there is someone who is in control. And as God's child, when you look around your world and your heart breaks for the hurt and injustice that is there, you can be confident that God's heart breaks for that injustice even more than yours does. And you can be confident that by his grace, ultimately, there is no wrong that will not be righted. And then finally, as God's child, no matter how boring and mundane your day-to-day life may appear, even when it's January, it's cold, it's gray outside, you're just like desperately lacking for motivation, no matter what is happening in your daily life, you can be confident that you're part of something transcendent. You are part of something that lasts far longer than this earthly world. You are part of God's mission to shine his light into the darkness so that more and more people from across this world can come to appreciate the heaven-sent hero who was born in a manger, died on the cross, rose from the dead so that his children might experience everlasting glory. What if God was one of us? Well, he was. He is. And you get to be the messenger that tells the world how in Jesus all of our deepest longings have come true. Amen.